Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 50th episode of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. Uh, It's a milestone that we're excited about. We want to thank all of our listeners for continuing to tune in. Uh, I'm Jameson Coughlin, editor of LNG Insight, which provides subscribers with North American LNG news and pricing, plus key European and Asian fundamentals. Today, I'm joined by Jason Fear, Global Head of Business Intelligence at the consultancy and shipbroker Potenant Partners. Uh, Welcome, Jason. Thanks for joining me. Thanks. Great to be here, Jameson. Okay, today we're going to chat about the LNG market, take a broader view, and and talk a little bit about what's ahead as colder weather has arrived. There's no shortage of drama in the market here as the winter gets going. I think we know how uh, we got here and and what's behind the record prices we've seen lately. You know, we've heard a lot about that, you know, low storage inventories heading into the year and economic resurgence after COVID-19, supply shortages, low pipeline imports in, in places like Europe and so on. But, you know, just to kick us off here, I have to ask, Jason, I mean, have you ever seen the market like this? Is this surprising where we're at right now? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I I think I guess nobody's ever seen an LNG market like this, partly just because the LNG market is is still fairly immature and sort of, uh, you know, I would say it's adolescence. So, I mean, you know, every year is kind of full of, of surprises just as the market evolves. I think some of this was predictable. I think the previous couple of years where we had sort of warm winters and, you know, abundant LNG, abundant natural gas globally, there was uh, some complacency. So, you know, you didn't see some market participants sort of filling storage, lining up shipping, you know, the, the way they had in previous years. So when we had that spike last winter, that really shocked the market. And now I think you've seen almost, uh, in, in some cases, really a panic as people sort of shift from this view that you could always get cargoes, you could always get a ship to, oh my gosh, you know, you really can't get a cargo, you can't get a ship to save your life this winter. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said, you know, you've got these very low inventories in Europe, you've got sort of slightly lower inventories in the US, you've got some inventory issues and some of the big Asian importers as well. So, you know, you've got everybody sort of on edge at a time when we're actually starting to see not major sort of supply issues, but we've, we've seen a whole series of fairly small supply issues. And, and I think that's got some Asian buyers on edge as well. So you've seen a couple of Indonesian projects, some issues in Malaysia, not taking huge numbers of cargoes off the market, but again, just enough, I think, to, to give the market a little extra juice. So it, it, it's a very sort of interesting market, really, for the first time, I think, the whole market sort of has its back against the wall. Yeah, yeah. It's complicated and, and things have absolutely shifted from 2020, that's for sure. So, I mean, as we consider what will move the market this winter, all eyes really seem to be on Europe, given the the you know severe lack of gas and storage there. I mean, do, do you think that that's fair to say? Can we expect these blackouts that we've heard about, elevated prices in this battle with Asia for cargoes to persist through the winter? I think so. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, the, the die's already cast. 
there's there's nothing you know europe's drawing out of storage now so there's no chance of boosting inventories really at this point winners here so i i think that's sort of it's kind of people come to the market with what they've got there's not a lot of opportunity i think for people to sort of adjust their position you're basically where you are and, and there's not a whole lot anybody can do to change that I, you know the big thing of course is is weather a sort of warm winter globally would take some of the pressure off but i i don't think it would solve the problem because particularly in europe and in asia they rely on inventories in the winter even in the warm winter so you, you still get a pretty healthy draw on inventories with warm weather it would take the edge off of course cuz consumption wouldn't be as high in a warm winter but if you if you get a normal or a cold winter then then you're going to get a lot of of upward pressure and you know i i guess in europe really the only variable is is what russia's going to do russia hasn't been selling spot gas into europe and that could have made the difference there's of course this dispute over what to do about nord stream 2 pretty clear that the russians are making a political statement by withholding supply i mean they they point out they're they're complying with all their contractual requirements uh, which is true but they're they're certainly not doing anything to help they could take some of the edge off if they wanted to but uh, but so far i think the russians would prefer to make the point that europe sort of needs their cooperation rather than to bail them out right now right right you know there's been a lot of finagling i think as as far as russia's concerned it, it's it's pretty clear to me anyway that ns2 is not going to come on in time to offer you know any meaningful volumes to europe i mean would you say the same yeah i i think the the german decision a day or two ago the regulator's decision to require the russians to sort of create a german company to hold the assets the Nord Stream 2 assets that are in germany basically means there's just virtually no chance unless the government sort of overturns that decision or goes or, or reverses it somehow that that sort of company and the certification could come before you know end of february march or april so i mean certainly you know there's there seems to be very little chance that nord stream 2 can come to the rescue that said there's pipelines with capacity going through uh, ukraine and poland so if the russians had the gas and the russians want to put gas into europe then they have the ability to do so but they've sort of pointed at Nord Stream 2 as, as their preferred route into Northwest Europe. And so if they sort of stand by that position, then there's, there's nothing that will happen in, uh, in, until 22, you know, in first, second quarter. So I, I, I think you're right about that, Jameson. Okay. Okay. Turning to Asia now, you know, I've heard stock levels are, are pretty healthy in places like China uh, and Japan, but buying in the region still seems to be pretty strong regardless of that and, and these these higher prices that we're seeing i mean can you talk at all about what's driving that you know there's there's a couple of of different things going on i mean you know the the reports out of japan looked pretty rosy a few weeks ago about inventory levels and but we're starting to hear that there there are some issues there have been some coal plants that have come down unexpectedly they don't use them as much and so they've had some uh, technical issues with coal plants they were planning on running. And it looks like the Japanese are suddenly out in the market in a, I wouldn't say a big way, but are actively out in the market after sort of signaling a few weeks ago that they were fine. So I think, again, probably not huge volumes, 
in terms of what they've got to buy, but volumes that nobody in the market thought they would be out for. So I think that's made a difference. Another thing is China. I mean, the, the inventory levels are, are, you know, we've heard the same thing, are, are pretty decent. The problem in China is that they just don't have as much storage as they need. So they really rely uh, every year on sort of just-in-time imports, you know, real-time imports of LNG. So when they've got some shortfalls, then they need to go out into the market immediately. And that impact gets uh, felt as well. And it appears, you know, the Koreans are, are also out in the market. So the big buyers in Asia, even though they've, they've sort of been active stockpiling uh, in the shoulder months, it, it appears that they're all out in the market for one reason or another. One thing that's kind of interesting in China that, uh, that we picked up is the Chinese seem to have signed some deals with Central Asia and maybe Russia to get some more pipeline gas in the short term. So over the next few months, you may see a boost of pipeline imports that weren't expected. So I don't know if that will offset the sort of higher demand that we're seeing from China. Probably not entirely, but but it may help, again, sort of take some of the edge off there. Yeah, there, there's been some real strong growth in, in China this year, hasn't there? I think that you guys have, have, have forecasted some pretty significant growth in, in the country this year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been surprising, I think, to everybody. But yeah, we've been forecasting, I forget what the number is, but, you know, very significant increase in LNG imports, you know, six, seven million tons, some some big number. I was looking at it a couple of days ago. And so it's it's a big number at a time when you've seen sort of a pretty good bounce out of some other economies as well. One thing that that may, again, sort of be helpful is it appears after sort of a period when they were surprisingly resilient, we're starting to see Indian buyers pull out of the market. We always felt that they were more price sensitive than some of the other big Asian consumers. Mm -hmm. But sort of going in, you know, in sort of August, September, when prices were spiking up in October, we expected the Indians to, to pull back and they didn't. What we're seeing now is very little buying activity, uh, certainly in the spot market, from Indian buyers. That said, we, we are seeing uh, sort of surprising resilience from Pakistan, which is also traditionally, you know, in, in their short career as a uh, an LNG consumer, they've tended to be uh, a bit more price sensitive, and that doesn't seem to be the case. They're still buying pretty steadily despite the high prices. But but there does seem to be, the high prices do seem to be destroying some demand among the more price-sensitive consumers. So, you know, again, that may, that may help. But as I said, I, I think we are where we are. And there's just not a whole lot. There's no magic bullet. People can't buy a lot more coal. Coal's expensive. There's no magic bullet here, short of winter just not coming this year. So, you know, really, everybody would just be betting on the weather at this point. Yeah, yeah, right. And I'm, I'm glad you touched on South Asia because that's been an interesting dynamic this year, too. So then in North America, what does this all mean for U.S. LNG? I mean, I know we've got some new capacity that could come on here in the next few months with Calcasieu and Train 6 being passed. So does that help the market at all? I mean, where do you see uh, the U.S. In, in all this? Things seem to be pretty busy on the on the Gulf Coast right now. Yeah, I think anybody who's got a cargo, an uncommitted cargo from the Gulf Coast is in great shape right now. All of the U.S. projects were over-designed. 
So they've all been able to produce at one time or another above nameplate capacity. So anybody who can who can squeeze out an extra cargo is working overtime to try to do that. Quite a contrast from uh, the summer before last, you know, when 70% of the capacity in the U.S. was down due to a lack of demand, you know, at the beginning of the, the pandemic. Right now, everybody's working 24-7 if they can. So, you know, I think the salad days for the projects that are uh, operating, and I think they've been pretty reliable. There have been a, a few hiccups. Reports had one or two sort of small issues, and you've gotten other bits and pieces from time to time. I think Chenier also had. But, you know, that's sort of built into export plans. So, you know, performance so far has been been really good. I mean, the, U, the whole U.S. structure of the tolling and FOB model worked really well the last time we had a, a sort of crisis in the world during COVID. People were able to just not take cargos, and that went very smoothly. And, you know, now that we've got this sort of record high demand and high prices, the U.S. system seems to be performing pretty well at the other end of the spectrum. I guess the big question is, is this going to convince consumers to, you know, sign more long-term contracts with some of the U.S. projects and whether this this sort of period of high prices, which is probably going to last, you know, into next year and, and probably into 2023, whether that's going to translate into more long-term contracts, more FIDs, more U.S. capacity getting built over the next few years. Right, right. And that I, I think that kind of segues in a way into my, my last question. I, you know, I, I just I wanted to wrap up by, you know, asking where all this leaves us next year coming out of the winter. I mean, do you still expect prices to be elevated and, and supplies to be tight? Or, I mean, where do you see things, I guess, next spring? Yeah, I mean, as you said, Calcasieu Pass, the Venture Global Project, has been commissioning. So we'll see some more capacity from them. And Train 6 at uh, Sabine Pass is supposed to enter service next year as well. But there's not a whole lot more new capacity besides that coming on. So I, I think our view is you're likely to see a tight market or a tight-ish market for the next couple of years until you start to get some bigger slugs of production from, from other projects that are under construction. So a little bit more supplies coming online, but I, I think the market is going to, you know, essentially for the next year or two going to be sort of rationing mostly what we've got now. And so I, I think that dynamic of how much Asia is willing to pay versus what's Europe willing to pay is going to be the sort of market will swing back and forth that way. I think it has been a little surprising, given the Russian behavior, that Europe has not been more willing to pay up. I think our expectation was by this time, you would probably see you know, the ARB to Asia closing as, as Europe would be sort of faced with not shortages, but, but you know, low storage, and the beginning of, of significant draws out of inventories that Europe would be willing to pay up for those cargoes. So we're not really seeing that yet. So that'll be sort of an interesting dynamic. But I think, you know, the, the situation at the end of the winter by, you know, February, March is going to be assuming it's a normal winter, that inventories in Europe are going to be depleted. Inventories in a lot of Asian countries will be pretty low as well. 
And so you're going to have the same kind of scramble for supply in the shoulder months of 22 that you did this year. So I, I guess, you know, our answer is kind of more of the same. I mean, whether it'll be $30 or $20, that's an open question, depending on, on how low inventories are and performance of, of projects and things like that. But I, but I think the, the short answer is probably more of the same for 22 and probably 23 as well, sort of a similar dynamic. Yeah, plenty to watch for here for sure in the coming months and, and even beyond that uh, when it comes to uh, the global gas markets. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks again for joining us, Jason. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. And thanks to all of you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. U.S. LNG exports have changed the global energy paradigm. NGI's LNG Insight provides a North American perspective to the global LNG market by tracking not only key LNG-related data within the U.S., but also important European and Asian fundamentals that may influence demand for North American natural gas exports. Visit natgasintel.com backslash LNG insight to understand what our LNG service includes and how it can help you make more informed business decisions today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.